Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast episode you'll be listening to today is entitled Men and Intimacy, originally produced and published by Rhonda Farr of the Intimacy Podcast. We're excited to share this episode with you, but before we do, we wanted to mention Dr. Finlayson Fife's soon-to-be-released online course for men's sexuality. This new course will be released sometime this fall. If you'd like to be the first to be notified of when this course goes on sale, sign up for our email list on the homepage of our website. You can find the links for this in our show notes below. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we are again speaking with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson-Fife. She's been on once before, but it's been over a year, I think. So Mm -hmm. the audience has changed a little bit uh, since we last spoke. So I'm excited to have her back, and I'm going to let her tell you just a little bit about an upcoming course that she has, and then we're going to dive right in. Yeah, so, well, I just, I do um, online courses for mostly the LDS community, because that's my faith tradition and background, and um, and so I do online courses for couples, relationship course, sexuality course, and then a sexuality course or desire course for women, and I'm also in the process of creating one for men around men's sexuality, which I think we're going to be talking about a bit today as well. But that course will be available in the fall and um, in an online form. So through Zoom essentially. And so information, we haven't yet posted the specific dates and all that, but that will be coming up soon. So yeah. When you say men's sexuality, like what do you mean? Them owning their sexuality, navigating all of it? What do you mean by that? Yeah, all of that. I mean, <clears throat> the women's course that I developed maybe four years ago is really about um, women coming to terms with themselves and importantly, their sexuality. So to really be someone more capable of desire and passion as I see it as a kind of capacity that one has. Men's sexuality is a little bit different because we tend to think of men as naturally sexual, but especially when you have come out of a faith tradition where sexuality is suspect or is seen as contradictory to a good person, that even though men are sort of acknowledged as inherently sexual in a way that women often are not, there's still a lot of shame and anxiety that many men have around their sexuality. And so to be a person really capable of intimacy, you have to be at peace with your sexuality. When I say capable of intimacy, I don't just mean capable of desiring sex or having sex, but being able to really show up and create something shared requires a basic acceptance of your sexual nature. And if you think as many men do, because they've been taught this idea that your sexuality is something corrosive or something that can do harm to a spouse or something you do to a spouse, you can be somewhat quite ambivalent about your sexuality. So, you know, the course is really designed to help men come to more clarity about their sexual nature and how to create goodness in their lives and in their relationships through their sexuality and how to be in a more integrated or integrity-based relationship with their sexuality. Because when people are out of integrity, they're either kind of do, they're either in a repressive relationship or they're in a indulgent relationship with their sexuality. 
So some of the issues you see around porn and all that is about a lack of integration mm. with their sexuality. And so um, how do you really come to peace and create goodness, something that blesses your life and the life of your marriage or partnership and through your sexuality? I love that. I think that's the yeah. perfect segue into our conversation today. Can we speak mm -hmm. a little bit about what you were saying with the things that we've sort of learned and accepted culturally and not just with the Latter-day Saint church, but even with our society as a whole, men are supposed to be these hypersexual beings in yeah. most cases. And how does right. all that play into the marriage? Well, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, again, as I talked to women, I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency. And so I've talked to women a lot about the kind of faults cultural ideas that they've inherited um but men have just as many in the opposite direction and i think one of them as you're speaking to is this idea that if you're a man i mean first of all masculinity is something culturally that we expect men to establish or demonstrate femininity is more a given you can stay kind of in close relationship to your mother and so on and still be considered feminine masculinity is to kind of separate and create autonomy and demonstrate prowess and competency and so on and around sexuality you kind of have to prove yourself through your sexual sexually i think a lot of men feel like they have to demonstrate that they know what they're doing that they are you know um sexual machines in a way <laughs> like that they you know are always have desire you know low desire men there's often a sense of shame in the couple that the woman has more because she can think what's the matter with me that i have more desire what's the matter with him that he has less um you know that we somehow assume the man should be the higher desire person and so there is a kind of pressure around sexuality for men um that it's something they produce it's something they do it's not really linked to intimacy culturally in the way we talk about it even though i think for many men this is a very important language and an easier language for expressing love and desire and valuing than sometimes the verbal forms that women are often more comfortable within so you know when we put it all into men's hedonism or men you know dominating or sort of proving themselves through their sexuality it actually makes sex more of a performance than an act of intimacy and but it also i think if you're the partner of of you know in that that it makes it suspect because if this is just about him and his desires and his entitlement that he should be able to have sex it it's not about me his wife and so it makes the sex much less desirable yeah. And I'm curious if it makes the sex less desirable, maybe less fulfilling is a better word for both the husband and the wife. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of men want to be received sexually. I think women generally want to be desired and wanted. And, and men want this too, of course. But that's expressed through wanting to feel received, that, that they are wanted uh the wanted to, the wife wants them to be close to them and so if it's just about okay you know what we tell a lot of women is well a lot of my clients have said when they were getting married that their mother said to them never say no to him because otherwise he'll go look at porn or be unfaithful now that's like a terrible message to give to a woman you will kill 
sex for the entirety of the marriage with that idea in one's no mind. No pressure though, right? <laughs> this is because, all well, on you. Yeah, well, it's, first of all, it's all on you to handle his sexuality rather than he has a responsibility to manage his sexuality in a good way. But also the idea that this is you're servicing him and you're basically scratching an itch for him as opposed to this being a shared um, um, con form of connection, a shared experience, a way of really creating a deeper bond that includes your physicality and your sexuality. And mm -hmm. so as soon as it's in the idea that you service him, look, it gets old immediately. Yeah, and, and you know, you nobody wants that. to prop up their husband for life. <laughs> yeah, you get tired, right? Yeah. You said yeah. that sex is not really intimacy, and that's something that I preach all the time. So I want you to speak a little bit more to that, the disassociation between sex in a relationship and intimacy in a relationship and kind of how those two play off of each other, even though they're not the same. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people use the pseudonym of intimacy and, you know, because I work primarily in the LDS community, my husband would sometimes say, maybe you should use the word intimacy more. Like maybe it would make people be less afraid of you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have to say what I mean. You know, I can't do that euphemistic stuff. But, but on the other hand, so what I would say is that just as sex is not necessarily about intimacy, I would also say conversation about your day is not necessarily about intimacy because it really depends on how honest and open-hearted it is. That's the measure of intimacy, is how much it's about letting yourself be known and knowing your spouse. And sex is one of the many important languages of knowing and being known. So what couples really struggle with, couples actually have a hard time being intimate and the more intimacy you can handle, the more developed the person. And I mean intimacy in any realm, because it's really hard to know a spouse, particularly the parts that don't validate you, and it's hard to be knowable. We all want to be validated, we want to be liked, we want to be accepted, we want to be received. We don't necessarily want to be known, <laughs> you know, because there's parts that are not so desirable or so worthy. It in feels terrible sometimes, right? Oh, absolutely. It feels terrible. Exactly. It's sometimes the most intimate moments where I'm like, oh man, this, this is not fun. This sucks. <laughs> because your spouse is recognizing something limited in you that's causing them pain or struggle. And you have to decide how honestly you're going to live with yourself and your spouse. The happiest couples tolerate intimacy is really the right way to say it. They tolerate the process of being knowable to themselves and to their partner, and they do something about the less attractive parts. They deal with that themselves. A little bit more. I think people are going to be surprised to hear you say the happiest couples tolerate the intimacy. intimacy. Yeah. Right. And I don't mean they tolerate sex. I mean, they tolerate the experience of being known. Uh, you know, my spouse and I had a conversation a few days ago and I was saying, you know, I was saying, I feel like when you talk to, I don't like it when you talk to our child with this kind of energy, we were discussing something and I could feel my husband's anger in the way he was saying this to me. It was just a private conversation. And I said, you know, the way you start to talk about that, I can just feel some contempt in it. And I don't like that you relate to this problem in that way because I, I, I think my child can feel it, right? 
and so I'm being I'm being intimate. I mean, I'm saying I see something you're doing that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's true. I do that. That's true. So he's he's acknowledging. He said, but but you are underreactive to the problem. And I feel my anger is not as much about him, even though it gets pushed onto him. It's about you being underreactive and kind of being too glass half full about it. And I just, I knew he was absolutely right in that moment. And it's not fun to be like, oh yeah, I'm a loser in this way. (laughs) But you know, but that's a more, that's the only way couples can actually be collaborative is you tolerate, you know, if you're going to be better parents, you got to take a good look at yourselves. But the other piece that really stood out to me kind of after this conversation, I kept thinking about it is that I am a part of his anger because when I indulge my limited part, it pressures him into a less functional role. And I don't mean to say I'm resp- he's responsible for himself, of course, but like how much we can co-create the problematic reality and the way that couples can undo them or be- make them better is you're willing to lay your cards on the table and take an honest look mm-hmm. as honestly as you can. And it hurts. I would love to think... I got it all right. And I'm just putting up with limited people. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to think that too. (laughs) So when I say tolerating, I mean, you tolerate that process of of facing yourself and dealing with it and push confronting yourself in those moments. Am I going back to that old behavior? Am I doing that same thing right now? And, um, you know, what do I need to do to do my part here? So tolerating because it pressures you to grow. And that's why I often talk about in my courses that, you know, marriage is a divine institution in the sense that it, it is designed so ideally to pressure our development as people mm-hmm. and sexuality is a part of this developmental process. Yeah. And, you know, so I think a lot of men will often believe that they are much more developed around their sexuality than they are if they're the higher desire person. So they will tell themselves, well, you know, I don't have the anxieties about sex that my wife has. Therefore, you know, I wish she'd really grow up around this, but often they have a lot more going on on their side. They, they want their wife to validate their sexuality through her desire and make it more legitimate because they struggle to be at peace with and okay with their sexual nature. And, you know, and so it's easier to put the focus on her because she has the lower desire some often, you know, not always. I feel of course. Like we need to repeat that before we go past this. Sure. So a lot of the higher desire partners in general, but men, we're speaking to the husbands today, feel mm-hmm. like they're more evolved. They're more developed. They're mm-hmm. more sexual mm-hmm. and more mature, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Around sex. Yes. Mm-hmm. Around sexuality because they're the higher desire. But speak to that again. Why is that not necessarily the case, especially if we are looking to our wife as a Mm -hmm. husband to sort of validate and fulfill the expression of that? Tell me more. Well, so I think that you just spoke right to the, the challenge. What I think we often learn in you know, especially if you grow up in a a faith tradition or a cultural tradition where there's more anxiety about sex, right? That a lot of times the message people get is that when you get married, your spouse legitimizes your sexual nature. It's very suspect up until that time. It's kind of Satan's pathway. So you've got to be very, you know, arm's length as much as possible. And once you get married, it's okay in as much as it's sort of reinforced through the marriage. Okay. Well, 
on the surface, that sounds like a, a great idea, right? And I, I personally fully value um, a committed um, ideal around our sexuality. But the problem in that message is the idea that your sexuality is made okay by the fact of a spouse's desire. So I think women are looking for men to basically bring them into their sexuality if they're the ideal women. So it's kind of put on the man to make their sexuality okay. But I think what's often hidden in our message is that men are often, look, they're looking to their wives. Their wives' desire legitimizes their sexuality. And the, the problem is, is that women have been taught to be desireless, needless and wantless as the ideal woman. She's not coming into that marriage with any sort of foundational relationship to her sexuality because that's the cultural ideal. And so she very seldom can actually legitimize her husband's sexuality through her desire. She's much more ambivalent about this. And so he can't get the reinforcement that his sexuality and that he himself is desirable. And so even though he's higher desire because he wants her sexual validation and he wants to be with her in this way because this feels good to him, he is often angry because she doesn't make his sexuality okay. So there is a kind of inherent dependency. It gets masked by the fact of him having higher desire. And I know I'm speaking in the most stereotypical way right now, right? Because sometimes it is the other way that the woman's higher desire. But when the man is the higher desire, he can look like he's comfortable with his sexuality, but in fact is angry in part because his wife doesn't legitimize his sexuality that the high desire kind of masks from himself. A hundred percent. It's like both partners are looking to the other to mm -hmm. do a job that not only are they not good at, but I think it's literally impossible for your mm -hmm. partner to do that for you. That's right. That's so right. Just frustrated and resentful. Right. Because anytime you want intimacy about you make me feel okay about me, it's an inherently dependent thing. And it's not really about intimacy at that point. It's about mutual validation. And most of us are looking for mutual validation in our relationships. Intimacy is I am at peace enough with myself that I will dare to let you know me, flaws and all, limited development and all, and let you in. And, you know, when Brene Brown talked about that, like the people that were vulnerable, to use her language, the, the thing was, is that those were the strong people. They were the people that could most accept their humanity. That's why they would let other people see them as flawed, because they were okay with the fact of their humanity. It's those that saw that as like interfering with their worthiness that were trying to mask it and hide it. And when we're doing that, we're really not yet capable of intimacy because we're trying to manage what is knowable about us, which is by definition antithetical to intimacy. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because actually you and I speak a little bit differently, or I think to two different things. You are very much in to the sexual help and that is your thing. I actually do speak to intimacy, which is mm -hmm. different than sex. I often tell my clients their sexual relationship is a byproduct. It's a symptom of mm -hmm. the intimacy. Mm -hmm. So really quick, we spent a lot of time on this, which I think is great. I love your mm -hmm. insight, but what is the foundation and this is very general. I realize that even asking you, but what is the foundation for a healthy sexual relationship? 
Um, I, it's a big question, but I'm going to see if I can answer it succinctly. I think that first of all, on some level, you need some level of peace with yourself and your sexuality as a starting point. And a lot of people don't have either when they get married and they're hoping the marriage will give it to them. Now, I don't mean to say it's all done in a vacuum because I think there are ways that I knew I was accepted and loved by my spouse that were actually ahead of my own level of acceptance and, and peace with myself. But I could, but it, learning to receive that actually expanded my sense of self and was more of an act of selfhood to be able to receive some of that. Um, but I think so it, at a minimum being at peace with yourself and your sexuality is a foundational piece. And then I would say really being in a position to really choose the other person and be chosen by so that you're saying, you know, of all the people in the world, I choose you flaws and all. I know you and I choose you. <laughs> Despite knowing you, I choose you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and on some level that you're saying, I want to bring my sexuality here and create something good with you here. Mm -hmm. And that you're creating something mutual, not about, okay, I'm servicing you for life. That's my divine calling. None of that stuff. That it's about we are going to create a relationship where we both have a home emotionally and sexually. Yes. And, you know, this sexual relationship can often be the canary in the coal mine because this issue of collaboration, just referencing that example, that's about collaboration. Am I willing to, that I, between my husband and me, am I willing to look at my part in, in interfering with this collaboration towards being a good parent? And so when you don't collaborate outside of the bedroom, there's no ability to collaborate within the bedroom around sex. Yeah. And so... By collaboration, I mean, you know, it's like, how do we create something that we both feel good about? A lot of women I work with are super anxious about, okay, well, if he touches me and I receive it, then am I not saying that, yes, I will have sex, but what if I don't want to have sex? And it's like this whole anxious negotiation where you feel like if you accept anything, you lose yourself, right? And of course, somebody doesn't want to have sex in that frame because to be with you sexually is to lose myself and nobody... In, in a bad way and nobody wants to lose themselves in any marriage or any partnership. They want, people want to belong to their own self and be with their spouse. So what, you know, my couples courses help people with is this issue of how they are constructing a meaning where there's not a place for two people to really be able to be at home in their own skin and with each other mm -hmm. and how that often gets co-created in a way that makes sex really undesirable for one at least. Yeah. So without intimacy, how can you know and choose somebody else? Or how can they know and choose you if you're not willing to let them see who you are? That's yeah. at the basic foundation root level of all this. I love your um, parallel with the canary in the coal mine. I actually haven't yeah. heard that before, but that's exactly yeah. what the sexual re relationship yeah. is. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good litmus test of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. And it's only because I get this question all the time, but it's handling the no, handling the rejection for many men, as we well know, after you described it so eloquently that we're not as actually as sexually mature as we think we are just because we mm -hmm. have higher desire, just because mm -hmm. we're willing to have sex doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we're sexually mature. So if we get told no, 
and we're expecting the yes to validate us or to make us feel somehow chosen, fulfilled, whatever. Um, that's a pretty big blow. So mm. how do we handle the no and the rejection without negatively impacting the mm -hmm. whole tone of the marriage? Well, I think it comes back to this idea of how willing you are to be collaborative, you know, how willing you are to really get your cards on the table as a couple and understand what's going on, right? Because a lot of people are that, that get the no and they feel so kind of frustrated and upset about that, but it's easier to kind of pull away and resent and think I'm not getting what I deserve in this marriage. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not getting the love of, you know, I'm a great person and why am I not getting the love I want? Rather than go towards it and to really understand it and to make sense of it and to take a collaborative position. And you you can take a collaborative position without your spouse taking a collaborative position. Ooh, speak more to that because I think most husbands think that if their wife won't be included in the conversation or be included in their feelings about the rejection, then they're just stuck. So speak more. Right. To that. So I think you can take a collaborative position by basically you're doing two things. You're being as honest, a collaborative position, the best way to say it is you're being as honest with yourself and your partner as you can be about the problem as you see it. It's an act of intimacy. You're willing to say, this is what I see. It may be flawed. It may be limited but this is what I see. I mean, that's what was happening again in that conversation I referenced. I'm saying, this is what I see. It may be limited, maybe flawed, but this is what I see. And it's, it's not, the end is not to beat you up and to make you feel bad. The end is to get a solution. And if your real end is a solution, you know, like when my spouse said back to me, well, okay, that may be true, but, but here's your part in it as I see it. Okay, he's putting his cards on the table. Well, if your real goal is a solution, you're willing to deal with what is your part in that problem, right? So in a sexual relationship, it's the same thing, is that are you willing to put honestly on the table what you honestly see about your spouse and you, very importantly. This is, you know, again, I talk about this a lot, is self-confrontation is foundational in this. But the goal is not about putting your spouse in their place or making them feel bad. The goal is I want to solve this. I want something that works for both of us. I want a better relationship. What's my part in it? You know, I, I think I've said this before on a podcast, but once, a, you know, working with somebody, this is not uncommon at all, where he was bemoaning the fact that his wife never desired him and that it had been years and so painful. And so I said, have you ever asked her why she doesn't desire you? And he'd never, never had occurred to him, right? And on the some level, a very intelligent person, but that's, that's a very basic question. Because if you don't desire me, and I want you to desire me, and it, an instinctive question would be, why not? What's, what's happening? What's undesirable about me to you? And that can be very scary, right? That's like, why he'd never asked it, right? Because yeah. it's not about a lack of intelligence to think that would be important information. It's because it punctures his sense of self. He prefers the idea, I'm a very desirable guy with an impaired wife. That's a much easier Easy. meaning than maybe I'm not as desirable as I think. And maybe there's better judgment going on on her part than I want to deal with. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's, you know, the same, same idea. It's so much easier to blame the defective wife. And many wives are willing to be blamed because they'd rather have the idea that I'm impaired sexually than have to actually have really challenging, honest conversations 
or stand up for themselves in a way in the relationship, it's almost easier to play impaired and dumb than to kind of have the conflict and the struggle uh, between you. The toleration that you were talking about. The tolerance about, right? of intimacy, yeah, exactly. That's so, it. And because it's culturally acceptable to be a broken woman, many women act much more broken than they are. They keep secret that they actually have more interest in sex than they let on many. It's they just don't like the sex they're having with their spouse. Yeah. And they don't want the struggle of really addressing that. I'm going to tell on myself just a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I get rejected occasionally and it happened to me very recently. Mm -hmm. And I was really thinking about this scenario with my husbands that I work mm -hmm. with, not my husband, but the husbands <laughs> that I work with. Mm -hmm. And when I was rejected, it stings no matter what I think it's a little bit of a sting, mm -hmm. but I know that my husband desires me. There's no doubt mm -hmm. in my mind. I know that mm -hmm. he chooses me. Um, mm -hmm. So there's no doubt in my mind. And so it was like a little bit of a sting, but it was like, of course he has this going on or he's tired or I just knew that it mm -hmm. was fine. And yeah. so it was okay. It was a little sting. And then we went on and we were fine and happy. And I think a lot of the reasons that men will give to the rejection, oh, you know, you're just not into it. You're broken. That's one thing. But if they're not secure with the foundation underneath the no mm -hmm. or the foundation underneath the rejection sure. or very the different. tone of the marriage. That can be catastrophic. Like I noticed yeah, it was like a speed bump, but it wasn't a train wreck. Yeah, exactly. Well, th there's no question. So, I mean, it's much easier to tolerate a no when you basically know this is a, this person loves me. They aren't in the mood right now. It's, it just doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything devastating about the partnership where if this is a marriage where your spouse has never chosen you, doesn't want to deal with his or her sexuality, that that's much, much harder to settle down about, especially if you have a mortgage and four kids, you know, it's just, it's, you feel like this person won't deal with their sexuality for my sake or for our sake. Um, I still would say to people, you know, it's easier to think poor me than it is to think, how am I a part of this problem? Yeah. Because we're in my work with couples, um, we're so much more a part of our problems than we see sometimes that we are even part of the bad reactions we get from other people. Now I say that somewhat cautiously because on the other hand, we don't have as much control as we'd like to think sometimes either. That's the other truth is that, you know, you can really do your part and still be partnered with somebody who's not going to do their part, but it's easy to tell ourselves, Oh, I've done everything I can and, and I have to deal with this. It's a, it's a kind of narcissistically reinforcing idea that obscures from our view often how we participate in exactly the behaviors that frustrate us in the people we love. Yeah. So, you know, I, you always have to clean up your side of the street first. And, and if you're in a long-term sexless marriage, you know, you have to often look at how, how have I participated in that? How did I, uh, how did I participate in that being acceptable or pulling that off? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for some couples I've worked with that it's been a long-term sexless marriage that even though the higher desire person didn't like it in the beginning, they still didn't want the intimacy and the exposure of standing up and saying, Hey, this isn't working for me. Yeah. Like, I really want a relationship that includes sex and you don't seem to agree with that assumption and that idea. And this is so foundational. We have to deal with it. <laughs> like for me, it's, meaning I'm saying, imagining the higher desire person saying, you know, 
for me, that's so foundational that this is sort of, it's pretty serious if this is not really your view of what a marriage should be. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes people are complicit, not because, because they, how to say it, people kind of bring the skills from their backgrounds and their cultural and religious upbringing, and they bring it right into marriage. And so what they create together is often something that makes them quite unhappy years down the road. And they kind of do it honestly. They come by it honestly. Mm-hmm. That said, you have to look at who am I that this was is the product of my capacity, right? And, and people, what do I need to address to actually stand up for something better or stronger or different? Love it. So many times people get a little bit, I don't want to say offended, but it, it's a kind of a rub when you say, well, what's your part in it? Or how are you mm-hmm. responsible? Mm-hmm. And I love that quote. If you're responsible, it's the best news ever because yeah. you have the power. To yeah. Change. You have something you can do. Right. Yes. Right. So those of you who are listening hear us. It's, it's a beautiful question. How am I responsible? What is my part in this? Have I done everything I can do? It's right. a beautiful question. It's very hopeful. It's very yeah. hopeful. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes what's much harder is that there really isn't anything I can do when I just have to deal with the agency of another person. That That's often much harder. So <laughs> and, much harder. and now I have to just think about what am I going to do in the face of what I can't control? I mean, and, and that's still about what, who am I going to be? I think that's always a very important question for ourselves but much easier when you think, look, I've actually been part of this. So sometimes it's about having more backbone. I mean, I think for people that resent and pull away, they're much easier to, in good judgment, keep saying no to than a higher desire person who is not bullying, okay, and not entitled, but is saying, this is a really important thing for me. You know, the higher desire person can come in and say, I am really unhappy. And I've often made you pay for that through, you know, sulking or, you know, telling you I have needs that you need to deal with. And I've, I've been a bad sexual partner in lots of ways. And I want to be better because I really don't want to spend this life and not ever have something that's really intimate and beautiful between us that includes our sexuality, right? So now that's a more, you can't just go and say that line to your spouse and have it work if it doesn't really have anything to do with your honest soul. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's not about just, oh, go say this. You have to actually be in that position because the person in that position is saying, I don't just want to have more sex. I want a good sexual relationship and I'm willing to look at whatever I need to, to have that, but I'm also willing to not apologize for wanting it, you know, because a lot of men are sort of apologetic for their sexual desire. Often men are the ones who are kind of standing up for something better because of how men are wired and how they've been socialized into the world, but they're still apologetic on some level. Maybe this makes me hedonistic or selfish and men have to really, if they're the higher desire person, they've got to really confront that. What is it that I think I should apologize for about my sexual nature? Is that just false traditions I need to challenge? Or is there something in the way I've been in relationship to my sexuality that's good judgment for me to not be clear about, (laughs) okay? And that I need to address inside myself so I'm in a cleaner position. Yeah, so let's really, and, and you're already speaking to this, but I just want to point it out for those who are listening. 
if you're in a marriage and your wife says, I'm just not willing to talk about it. I can't go there. I am. You, a lot of these women are probably taking your course, right? Um, owning their sexual desire. A lot of women, we're just not there yet. So what would you say to a husband who says, I would love to have a conversation like that with my wife, but she's, I just know she's going to shut down. That's what she does. She won't even speak about it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that you're kind of giving maybe two different meaning frames. So let me just kind of tease that apart so I can, there's, there's the spouse who's genuinely working on something. Okay. And that's a little different than the one that shuts down. Right. So the, if, if you're saying some of them are taking my course and they're really working on something inside of themselves, then that's a little different because you actually, it's collaborative to give your partner the space she needs because she's genuinely working on something. Right. Yeah. So, so that's I different. These are the women yeah. who need your course. Maybe. I oh, oh, okay. I understand. I understand. Way. I had like, okay, and eventually got it. get to the course, but yeah, let's speak to the husbands who are married to um, somebody who doesn't want to deal with their sexuality at yeah, all because it's too hard because they aren't willing to tolerate to use your, yeah, words, yeah, yeah. what comes up with it. Well, again, it's going into collaboration can be, and is a unilateral reality. You can't make somebody be collaborative. You can do your part. Right. So, I mean, sometimes I do this in the form of role play so people can, you could maybe pretend to be the low desire spouse for a minute who doesn't want to talk about it. Okay. Because <laughs> I could maybe role model a little bit of what it sounds like, but maybe to explain it first is just that you're, you're not waiting for your spouse to validate your position. You're not waiting for them to make it okay that you want something better. And so you're not trying to get them to sign on to the fact of we're going to deal with this because the way that they don't deal with it is by always kind of using a position of victimhood that you're even bringing the subject up. Yes. So if you came to me and you said, you know, hey, maybe I've not been the best spouse and maybe I've taken advantage in certain ways using your wording from before and I were to say, well, it's fine. You know, everything's working. I just... I don't even want to talk about it. Everything's okay. Like I'll just keep doing my Okay, I'm good. Doing. So good. So now I'll take the role. I think everything feels okay enough for you. But I'm not okay with how things are. Well, I like what do you want from me? I am trying. Like you say you want sex, I'm giving it to you. Exactly. I mean, I think that's been I've been really looking at myself more around this. And realizing that I've been complicit in the bad sex we've been having, bad for you and bad for me. It's the kind of you put out and then you get the label that you're trying because you're putting up with me. And I accept that. And that's kind of degrading to both of us. And I'm not okay with that anymore. I don't want to be pitied and accommodated anymore. I have it told myself in the past that that was somehow acceptable because of a sort of scarcity idea. But what I really want is something much better than that, like something really shared. I really want a romantic and sexual relationship with you not this sort of transactional reality around sex that we've done for so long. Yeah. I don't even know what you want from me. 
<laughs> That's good. Okay. Yeah, right. You just hang on to it for a second because I, I don't think that a partner who's been in this position is going to be like, wow, I really like that idea. I think that she would tend to play dumber than she is in a sense. Like, I don't know what you want from me. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, okay, so let's just say that's your line. Let me just think about that. How would I respond to that? Because it's, it's a sophisticated move, actually. I think you do know what I want. I think though it's scary. And it's scary for me too. Maybe that's why I've put up with duty sex. It is. But maybe we could take Finlayson Fife's <laughs> sense of sexual identity course. <laughs> yes. And we could go through it and like think about how we're each playing a role in this. Because I don't think you're, that I'm healthier than you around this. Wow. Maybe you not wanting it's been good judgment, actually. Wow. I can't believe you're saying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's an act of intimacy by the husband. He's looking at his part. He's being honest. He's not waiting for her to validate the conversation or get something from her. He's owning what he wants and who he is, and he's laying on the table what he sees about himself as well. Can we just go ahead and put the caveat out there? Husbands who are listening, that's probably going to feel very uncomfortable. For you. Oh, yeah. Very um, counterintuitive and very uncomfortable. But because it's more intimate and it's more honest and it's more collaborative and that's always scarier at first but that's the only way you actually create something better because most of us take refuge in our sort of entrenched power struggle mm -hmm. and tell ourselves we're doing all we can when when it's when when you're the lower desire wife in that like it was just so I don't want to open up to him he already feels angry that he hasn't been I haven't been putting out for him better over the last 10 years that's not exciting. That's not romantic. I don't want to open up to him because then I'm just like good enough at that point and I'm finally doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, it's hard to kind of participate in validating that whole meaning frame. Yes. And so, you know, a lot of women are low desire because they don't want to deal with their sexuality, but that can be a factor. But a lot of times they're low desire because the meaning dynamic that's happening that is often can't really even yet be named by the couple because it's just implicit yes is 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 so dominant that it interferes with any possibility of something chosen exciting and richer let's punch it up just another notch here because there are some women who just don't know how to own their sexuality and it's uncomfortable and they're not ready for it and then in my opinion it there's a difference um in somebody who just quite isn't quite ready to accept or explore and somebody who maybe has suffered some abuse. And so mm -hmm. like you were saying, there's a whole different meaning like sex and sexuality means something completely different yeah. to these women. So let's speak just for a yeah. couple of minutes about somebody who may be in a relationship with a wife who has been sexually abused in the past mm -hmm. and how that's a little bit different. And if you have any thoughts or tips for the mm -hmm. husband or the couple in general about how to approach that. Well, okay. So um, I guess what I would say is everything I've set up till now still kind of stands. I mean, there's the, an, an added understanding that this is a, a scarier thing uh, for you wife, especially if you have sexual trauma. 
-hmm. it's a much harder thing to kind of step towards because everything in your mind pushes you away from it as a kind of limbic safety mechanism, right? Um, But what the goal of the husband is, is to truly be a trustworthy person. And by trustworthy, it doesn't mean uh, agree with everything your wife says, never ever pressure, never ever want anything she doesn't want. That's not what creates safety. Honesty and a desire to stand up for something really good is what creates trustworthiness. Right? A lot of times people go into the nice guy, accommodate everything, put no pressure, but they're not trustworthy because the wife knows it's dishonest. The wife can feel the resentment and the kind of covert contract that's actually operating often in all of that uh, nice guy presentation. And so trustworthy is honest, but it's not just saying anything that's on your mind. It's a kind of honesty that's been filtered through your own integrity. And that's about creating something stronger for you as a couple. It's believing in your wife's capacity, not seeing her as a victim, but seeing her as a survivor, seeing her as a person who has capacity. The good news of the, for, the, for the wife, and I, this is not as much my specialty, so I, I say this with uh, some experience, but limited experience around working with um, sexual trauma, but that the, the, the good news and the bad news about sexual intimacy is that it, it can be much more triggering for the mind because you're sort of in the space of high meaning and high exposure. And so regressions can come easily. But the good news is if you can work through those regressions, through this high meaning, high contact experience, they can be very healing for you. So good meaning sex is very good for the brain. Bad meaning sex is very bad for the brain. That's why sexual trauma can be so disruptive to someone's sense of self. Yeah. But if you see, because you can, you know, when I talk to women who have come out of sexual trauma or men for that matter, when there is the, if you're just trying to fend off sexuality, you know, that's the way to be safe and belong to yourself is to keep it at arm's length. Okay. But another way to think about it is I want to reclaim what's always belonged to me and that got taken from me that my sexuality got hijacked at a young age and it became about somebody else's violation as opposed and so i have as a way to be safe have basically disconnected from a fundamental part of me something that's always been mine and so when a victim when a sexual assault survivor is able to orient to this as i am reclaiming something right and i want to be at peace with my sexuality like if there's a way to stick it to the person who hurt me it's that i'm going to reclaim my life and not give them any more power over it and when you're in that position well then your mind and body start working together in a different way because you know as uh, dr david schnarch talks about is that we want to belong to our sense of self much more than we want to be sexual. And that's always true. That's why the higher desire person wants to be sexual because that's how you can feel good about yourself is if you'll have sex with me. But for the lower desire person, often it's like the way I can feel good about me is for you to stay away from me because I feel like I'm getting taken from. Mm-hmm. Um, a sexual abuse survivor is if they're in the position of, I wanna to belong to myself, it's fend off all sex. 
But if belonging to myself is reclaiming this and own and reintegrating something that was always give, mine that God gave me, and I want to be at peace with it for myself, well, then belonging your mind is now working in a different meaning, which is belonging my, to myself is to reclaim it. Now, if you're in that meaning frame, you may still in a moment fall back into a regressive place. You're in the middle of sex or your spouse touches you in a certain way and then suddenly you're, you're back into this kind of reactive traumatic moment and you kind of can't get yourself out of it. You know, you can't like just talk yourself out of it because you're just in it. Do you have any advice or tips for maybe somebody who would find themselves in a reactive moment? Somebody who yes. maybe has worked through it but just I, I think what the most ideal thing to do in that moment, especially now if you're partnered with a spouse that's trustworthy and really wants to create better with you and cares about you, you can say, I'm 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 out of it. I've gone into a regressive place. I can't move forward. And that your partner joins you in that. You don't go anywhere that you can't go together. Right. And so if it's like I'm overwhelmed, you move back to a place where you can be reconnected, even if it means sex stops for that evening. That's okay, intimacy, you, right? That's, that's intimacy, intimacy and it's collaboration. You move yeah. back to where you can be together. And the, the more that the, the, the survivor's mindset is an understanding that I really have control here. Like I'm not going to be, I'm partnering with someone who's not going to take advantage, who's not going to exploit, who will really work together with me. I'm not acting like a victim in this moment. I'm acting like a survivor and a person who's carving her path and I'm too overwhelmed to move forward. So we're moving back, but you're staying in some level of physical connection probably, you know, and yet you're settling your mind back down. Mm -hmm. Then your mind can kind of get clear. All is well. You're safe. It's okay. And then you might decide I'd like to try again, or I don't want to try again tonight, but, but you're, you have the clarity that I am in the driver's seat. Love it. And that's what your brain needs to know because it's, once you know that, then you can drive anywhere with your spouse when you know you have a steering wheel and a, and a, and a brake <laughs> when you need it. Mm -hmm. Love it. I want to go back to something that you said and pointed out one more time, because I think it's a little bit tricky. And that's what you were saying about the good guy scenario. So sometimes, and I've worked with several men like this, we think we are doing our wives a favor by being the good guy. And then kind of resentful underneath, right? Right, like, right. I'm doing this mm -hmm. for her. Yes. I'm going to be so kind and compassionate and show up for her. And it's tricky because it seems like the quote, right thing to do. So I just want to point this out for the husbands. Mm -hmm. Really hear this. Mm -hmm. It's not always serving the relationship. No, because it's kind of, um, it's a, how to say it? I think there's a lot of men who kind of reject, and this is often the case when they had a father who maybe was dominant or cruel or mean to their mother. And so they grew up sort of being the caretaker of their mother often, like kind of the better guy in the family. This isn't always the way it comes together. And I think we get socialized uh, in this a little bit in sort of faith traditions because there's this idea that the, the, the good guy is the righteous guy. But the good guy is the one who's kind of, how to say it, never makes anybody uncomfortable, is kind of accommodating everyone around him, is, is the, the hero in this way right, is mm -hmm. solving things and never making anybody uncomfortable and so on. But, you know, often the idea of that is I can't validate my own masculinity and my own desires. I need you to be happy with me for me to be happy with me. And so I'm going to 
prove to you and me that I'm this different kind of guy, this desirable kind of guy, because I always am nice to you. But it's really driven more by a need to resolve something about oneself. And it isn't creating more goodness. When you're complicit in a system where you basically are coddling every anxiety in your wife, for example, or she's running the show, not because she's so strong, but because you're afraid of the conflict of standing up for something more fair or better, that doesn't create a strong marriage or a strong family. Yeah. Just as it isn't true in the other way either, if a woman is complicit in just sort of yielding to everything her dominant husband says. You know, a lot of people want to call that Christ-like, call that good because it's, but it's really fear-based, not courage-based. It's yeah. not integrity-based. It's like, I just don't want you to be unhappy with me, but I'll go and coddle my resentment that I'm the good one between us. And it's not like that anger and resentment isn't felt in the marriage. And it's not like that doesn't impact the sexual relationship. It does. And so you can't really create anything good, honest, and worthy without really kind of showing up honestly and taking deep responsibility for yourself and your decisions. It doesn't mean that you never will go along with what your spouse wants, of course, but, but you're not doing it because you can't handle them being unhappy with you. You're doing it because you really believe it's the better thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the kind thing to do in this moment. Yes. It's not because you have no other choice. It's because right. you choose it. That's right. That when we need too much for people to feel good about us, then we're, not a, then we're not really trustworthy. We're not really being honest because we need too much to prove we're a certain kind of person. Yes, love it. Okay, well, we spent a lot of time here today. Do you have any other thoughts, tips, maybe any insight, um, just very general insight for husbands based on what you have seen and the people that you've worked with? Well, I think maybe I would just say that I think... Um, there is a lot of ambivalence around masculinity and sexuality that is often playing out in men more than sometimes we have been able to see and keep track of. And that there is that men through their sexuality have the ability to deeply bless their relationship, to deeply bless a wife, right? I mean, um, that we often have this deep fear that men's sexuality is ultimately suspect and self-serving. When I would say men's sexuality can be a wonderful, nurturing, sustaining reality for many marriages and, and often where men can be their most generous, tender, and loving. And I just think you know, women maybe need more of a vision of that, but I think men need more of a vision of that because they've been at least sensitive men who don't want to do badly have, have, are afraid of their sexuality, but in a way that uh, disempowers them from really claiming it and creating goodness with it. So, yeah. That's a great reminder. I have worked with clients who say they don't want to take advantage or you know, we yeah, get the stereotype, exactly. you're selfish, you're a pig, you only want her for her yeah. body. That has not right. been my experience with most of the men that I have seen. I know there are some, yeah. there are always sure. some outliers, but sure, most men want to be chosen. They want to be accepted. They want to feel connected. And for a lot of men, sexuality is a huge part of that. And yeah. I just think right. men need the reminder too. Absolutely. 
Yeah, my husband is like not a very verbal person. He's more, more of an introvert. But just the language of the body is a comfortable language for him. And it's like such a gift in my life because it's such a way of being loved and communicated with. And I think sometimes we want to put that below the emotional rather than it's a part of any true intimate system, marital system. So I think we we ought to value it more because it's such a great source of happiness and strength. Totally agree. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your Thanks time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, My pleasure. You're, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.